Hey, good morning, everybody. Let's give the Lord a hand today. Well, it is great to be with you. And if we haven't met before, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Encounter, and I couldn't be more excited to be with you today. Uh, just thankful for every person that God has brought to be a part of what He wants to do in this moment as a church family. And uh, just so excited to be with each and every one of you. Uh, before we jump into God's Word today, just a couple of things. Uh, pastor Austin mentioned our wonderful youth pastor. Can we just give a hand to Pastor Austin? He's amazing. Ah, 70 students. How do you just say, yay, God, right? Amen to that. At Moose Mountain for a weekend, just learning about the Lord. And then last night, if you weren't here, I'm telling you, our campus was bubbling by like 6 p.m. It was just like people, it was like a shoulder-bumping event. So that, is, that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And this morning, I saw this young boy going to the, one of the Sunday school rooms on his own. He had this pile of candy. He was so happy. I was just thinking, his, his teacher's not going to be that happy happy after that, you know, but it's just so fun. Everybody had a great time, and we just want to say thank you for serving all of you who showed up and invited friends and invited your neighbors. It's just a great, great time, and, and, and I think it's appropriate, too, to give a hand just to thank God for our wonderful Encounter Kids team. Amen? <laughs> to, to, have, to have an event that goes that smooth with that many people, they made it look effortlessly, but I know it was not effortless. So thankful for each and every one of them. And don't forget, uh, next Sunday, I'm going to repeat it again because we don't want anybody to come at the wrong time, but next Sunday is our all-together service. And so if you're a guest today, next Sunday is Daylight Savings Sunday. We all go fall back an hour, so we're going to just do church a little bit differently next Sunday. We're going to have one service all together at what time? 10 a.m. So we're not having a 9 a.m. service. We're not having this at 1045. But if you come at 1045, you'll catch the tail end. All right? So you'll be okay still. But at 9 a.m., come and enjoy a pancake breakfast and some just great friendship together. Uh, the kids are going to be singing and there's going to be some baptisms. And I got to talk to just a couple people today that are getting ready to express their faith in Christ through baptism. They're so excited. And it's going to be a great time of just praising the Lord as one church family all together next Sunday. So what time is breakfast next week? Nine. What time is church? Ten. Ten. You got it. All right. Well, hey, today I'm going to just begin by sharing a story, true story, of a woman of courage. And I spoke to her this week, and uh, she's someone that's just very dear in, to me, and I asked for permission to share a little bit about of her story and to make sure I had her story correct. But she's a woman of courage, and I'm not going to use her real name. I'm going to call her Linda today. And none of you know her, but Linda is a worship leader in her church. She's deeply committed to Christ and to the beauty of His church. She struggles like all of us, but consistently struggles toward the Lord. 
And she has a heart to see people around her in her community to come to know Jesus Christ and for her life and lives around her to be a living expression of God's gospel and as she shares the truth and the message of Jesus Christ and how people can know him. She's a doctor and went back to school later in life. She's involved in a small group in her local church family, and she would call the people in her small group in her local church part of her family. She has grown to have a deep knowledge of the Bible. She grew up in a family that attended a good local church in her community. Uh, Linda was living a fairly normal life as a young child, but as a child, she had a friend whose father was a leader in another local church in her town. And uh, as a young child, she would spend a lot of time with their family. Uh, his position uh, in that local church really doesn't matter, uh, but he was in a role of spiritual leadership. But the reality was he was a wolf. And he ended up abusing Linda as a young girl for a number of years. He was evil. And he masqueraded as a shepherd in a local church family. And it contributed to Linda going down a path of self-doubt and rebellion, facing some major challenges where she didn't want to be a part of her local church, let alone have anything to do with church in general as a young woman. But God began to place people in her life who gently called her to a healing journey that only God can do in a community of genuine shepherds. Men and women who, though imperfect, gently over a period of years walked with her back to healing in Christ, a journey that, was first, that first brought healing to her personally and later renewed a desire for her to be a part of a local church family again where she is thriving at this very moment as we speak. Linda is a woman of courage. But for many years... She became part of a growing number of young people. Sometimes they get labeled as Gen Z, others call millennials, and actually I would say a group of people of all ages who know Christ personally but have lost hope in the local church or in being part of a church for one reason or another. People who got hurt somewhere along the way some people call it church hurt. Some people call it church accidents. The stories are all different, but the results are fairly similar. I meet them all the time. I, by God's design plan, I met a few in our community this week in different places where I was doing different things, where they had a leader or a friend or a family member in church who claimed Jesus' name at the time, but they did something so hurtful, so wounding, or they went through a series of events as a, a part of a church that wounded them in a similar way, and it caused them to question sometimes Jesus himself, but sure, for sure their desire to be a part of a local church family. And there are countless other stories as well. Everyone in this room has a story or knows someone with a story of being a part of a church where all of a sudden, you turn a corner and unexpectedly relationships are blowing up and people who claim godliness and there are different sides of the story, but the end result is that people get lost and hurt and there's a trail of damage that lies in the wake and sometimes from philosophical differences, sometimes leadership styles, sometimes uh, different 
differences of opinion, but once united, churches become divided, leaving a whole lot of people on the sidelines wondering where authentic faith is to be found. The passage that we're going to cover today in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 doesn't deal with all of those issues that I just mentioned, but it does deal with the idea of those who claim the name of Jesus but live with rather dark intentions. And the response to such people is a path of healing that God wants all of us to walk whether we've been in that exact situation or not. And my hope today is to really just offer some general observations. I know I'm not going to answer all our questions, and I know I'm not going to be a part of healing all of our wounds. The Lord is the one who does that in His time. But my hope is is that we'll be able to offer some steps forward, and at least, if anything, we'll point people to hope Himself, Jesus Christ. Amen? Would you pray that with me? Would you stand right now? I'm going to read the part of the passage, and then we're going to pray together. By the way, uh, one of the reasons I love walking through books of the Bible instead of just doing all a bunch of different topics and passages all over the place is because if you walk through a book of the Bible and you look at the main passages, you'll end up talking about topics that you may not naturally choose to talk about, but that God has designed for us to talk about because it's in His living Word. And it's one of the reasons I just love walking through a book as God has designed it. And so we're in 2 Corinthians 11 today, and if you're newer with us, if you're a guest, we just want you to know anytime you come, there's QR codes on the walls, and as you come in, if you scan one of those, you can find the digital notes for the message, and we also put stuff on the screen, and you can grab that on the way out as well if you want a digital copy of everything, and we also provide some questions so you can talk about it later with your friends. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul speaking to the Corinthian church and God speaking to us in His living word said this, And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do, the Apostle Paul says. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of the light." So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And I'm moving back to the beginning of the chapter, chapter 11, verse 1. I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to the one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father God, a moment ago we sang, Lord, to you that through the storm you are our cornerstone. And that is our prayer, Lord, as we talk about some things that are a little difficult, and we acknowledge that there are just different wounds that each one of us carry into this time together today. And we ask you to be the good shepherd. We ask you to be the main voice heard. We ask you to be the healer. And we ask that in your name and by your power, Jesus. And all God's people said, 
Amen. Please be seated. You know, there was a lot going on in the Corinthian church when Paul first wrote his, this second letter to them. But one of the biggest things is there was a group of people in and connected to this church family that claimed the name of Jesus, claimed spiritual authority, uh, but their, you know, that was their stated intention for Christ, but they were actually really spiritual wolves is what the Bible refers to them as. And so Paul is writing to the church and saying, be aware of spiritual wolves. Be aware of false prophets, he also calls them, false apostles. He says this in verse 13, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And as much as I wish it were not so, it is true that spiritual wolves exist in this world, and they often try to infiltrate genuine Christ-believing churches. And a wolf is a powerful predator, the animal kind. In fact, a wolf pack is an even more powerful predatorial force. Uh, wild wolves, they're, they're rather amazing creatures, actually. They actually thrive in cold and tough conditions. What they seek to do is to divide a, you know, some animal from the rest of its flock to corner it and, you know, a weaker animal. And the largest wolves in the world, actually, are found in Alaska and in Canada. Uh, they get to be somewhere around 120 pounds, and they can get up to be 175 pounds. That's a, that's a powerful uh, predator. And they can actually run just under 45 miles an hour. And when they're running at top speed, which they can do for hours on end, uh, they can jump like 16 feet in order to surprise and pounce on their prey. Uh, the average wolf pack is around 5 to 10, but they have been known to get up to 40. And under extreme conditions, different wolf packs will actually join together for the purpose of survival. But one of the most interesting things about wolves in nature is that they're territorial. They will claim a territory that is larger than they actually need in order to roam and to always have prey. And either, either way, when a wolf attacks its prey, it always, always, always tries to conceal itself before closing in. That is the nature of a wolf. And Jesus often actually speaks to the reality of spiritual wolves. People who sell themselves as servants of light but are really wolves on some level who want to bring damage to Jesus and to people and to His church. And they too can be cunning. Sometimes they run in packs and they are territorial and often they pounce without warning when we find them in our lives. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. And so God says, Be aware of people who disguise themselves as harmless, but are really vicious wolves underneath. And he goes on to say, They may sound harmless, but they're incredibly destructive in the end. And you actually see it in their fruit. Although sometimes it takes a little while for their fruit to bear out. They may even appear sound in their teaching sometimes, but ultimately you find over time that they're far away from grace. They're far away from the anchor of God's Word, and they're really far away from the heart of the Father. 
Jesus in John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then he says this, and I love this. I am the good shepherd. Can I hear an amen? amen? Jesus is the good shepherd. And he says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He is he who is hired is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. So wolves love to scatter, divide, and destroy, but Jesus loves to bring life, and he is a good shepherd. And he actually invites every one of us in this room today to be good shepherds as well to the people that God has placed within our influence. And to recognize that we live in a world where there are sometimes spiritual wolves, but in the midst of even some of that, we are called to be good shepherds who do everything in their power to protect their sheep and to keep people united around the Lord and give up anything just as Christ was willing to go all the way to the cross for us. And so spiritual wolves whether we like it or not, are part of this broken world, this side of heaven. And so the Apostle Paul addresses the need to be aware of them and to look to their fruit to expose them. Whether they're people who are so broken they do damage and they don't know they're doing the damage, or whether they're intentionally deceptive and are doing damage and they know it. Either way, it sometimes doesn't matter if you're the one being wounded because the results are the same. They do damage. Now, I would tell you that in my experience in life, uh, that I've met some spiritual wolves. You just do. I would also tell you that I've come to believe that just as there's the reality in the world of spiritual wolves, that there's also this reality where sometimes we can go through a series of events in a church family or in life that have wolf-like results on us. Meaning that we, we go through a series of difficult things and the end result is we feel wounded as we would if we had met a spiritual wolf because of the reality of the situation we walk through where there's this series of events that causes a group of people to get hurt and sometimes divided from the strength of Christ and from community together. And by the way, we all just walked through such a thing. Everyone across the nation did a little while ago. It's called a global pandemic where churches across our nation got divided by issues they never dreamed would divide them from people they love. And no matter where you fall on those issues, all I can say is, amen, we're not there today. Oh, man, thank you, Lord. But there were a whole lot of people that got disconnected from community. And there were wounds that happened along the way. And sometimes things like that happen in our lives. And I believe wolf-like seasons apply to this passage because the healing path back to where God wants us is very similar. In verse 13, he says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So they teach and use the Bible, but they don't really teach from the Bible. And there's a big difference. They proclaim themselves to be servants of Christ, to be servants of light, but really they are seeking to fulfill their own agenda. They've mastered the art of spinning a web of lies, and they know that the best lies have a kernel of truth in them. And as a result of all of that, for me, as I read the book of 2 Corinthians, I actually really appreciate Paul. 
because he reminds them continually of what his heart is for them. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 12, he said this, for our, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so towards you. Talk about what true spiritual leadership is. Paul says, I want to remind you that when I was with all of you, that in the way I served you and ministered together, I did so with sincerity of heart, where I was dependent on the grace of God. I was authentic with you. And by the way, that, that's the heart that God wants all of us to have when it comes to being good shepherds in the lives of people around us. And in fact, throughout the book of 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul continually displays this leadership style that is full of transparency and dependence on God's grace. And he's very open with the Corinthians. He says, hey, I love you all. He's really open about the issues they were facing and, and also the reality that there was division among their ranks. And as hurtful and as damaging as spiritual wolves are or even wolf-like events in our life, God also wants us to know what the result will be for them when it seems like they have freedom to wreak havoc in our world and in our lives. He says it in verse 15. So it's no surprise if His servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. Meaning, apart from a radical surrender to Christ and His grace, and yes, that is possible, their darkness and deceit and division will envelop their own life. And by the way, I think it's worth stating as a pastor and as a church member that sometimes I have seen disagreements come up in church families over the silliest of things. You know, it happens. Some of the most common everyday life disagreements can sometimes bring a little wolf out of all of us. And I don't mean like a spiritual wolf like Paul is talking about, but I, I mean like where we get a little wolfy, right? Can we just admit it for a minute that sometimes when things get a little rough, we get a little territorial. And sometimes we can, without even realizing it, begin to divide people from the heart of who Jesus is and the heart that He has for His church. And so He reminds us to not get lost in the minors, but to remember the majors, and some of the majors are so clear in Scripture, things like the good news of Jesus Christ and salvation through Christ alone. Oh, that's a good major. Or the heart of God to reach the community and to reach our world for the Lord. Or the centrality of the Word of God in our lives and in our community. And it's true that churches are divided over the color of carpets. It has happened, all right? It is a true thing that has happened in church families. I, I had the privilege of being a part of a church family that walking the church through a building project where we basically demoed all of our buildings. So imagine every building on campus coming down and, you know, like, it's kind of like burning the ship. And, and then building a new facility to better reach our community because our old facilities, I mean, they had served the church for decades, but they were not going to serve the church for decades to come and uh, reaching a new, new generations. And you would think when you build a new building that people would get really, you know, territorial about the colors and things like that. But I got to tell you, everybody was so thankful to have new facilities. Like, it's just like wonderful. Everyone was just grateful. It was amazing. But sometimes, it's true, churches have divided over the color of carpets. And it's also true that issues arise sometimes in church families that are 
extremely complex. And they're hard to understand. And without a heart of grace and a heart of unity around the Lord, it's easy for things to get a little ugly or a little wolfy sometimes. But what, is, what really matters is, what do we do when we've come in contact with a wolf? What do we do when we've been through a series of events that have wolf-like results and wounds in our hearts? And so, let's start where the Apostle Paul starts in 2 Corinthians 11 and healing from a wolf attack. First, return return to the simplicity of devotion to Jesus Christ. There is no better place to start after any time of wounding than the return to the simplicity of Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way, he says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The New Living Translation says, from a pure and undivided devotion to Christ. The greatest way to heal after a time of wounding is to return to the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. Where when you feel you've been used or hurt or abandoned by people, you run to the arms of the Lord. Where you once again learn that Jesus Christ is enough. And He is safe. Where you bring your unwanted wounds to Him. And you invite Him to touch your life where you once again learn the joy of what it means to live by grace and not by performance, where you feel like you don't have to have it all together. You can never go wrong running to the arms of Jesus Christ. Uh, Brendan Manning is an author. He wrote a book years ago called Abba's Child. I consider it a classic uh, these days. It's a classic really about God's grace. And in that book, he's talking about just the wide love of God and the deep grace of God. And he says this, (coughs) he says, the father of lies twists the truth and distorts reality. He is the author of cynicism and skepticism, mistrust and despair, sick thinking and self-hatred. Isn't that true? But then he turns it and he starts speaking as if Christ were speaking. And he says, but I am the son of compassion. You belong to me. And no one will tear you from my hand. Nothing can tear you from the hands of Jesus Christ. No matter how far you may feel from Him, or how far He may feel from you, Jesus is there pouring out His love. He is pursuing you with His grace and His goodness. He is a good shepherd who goes after sheep that have been wounded who have gotten separated, and in Him we always find the greatest healing. In fact, His voice is the most important voice to heal, to hear when we want to heal. And yet God will always use people as well to speak His voice and affirm His word over our lives. If you want to begin to heal, return to the simplicity of devotion to Jesus Christ. Next, practice the ministry of showing up. A friend of mine shared this with me in a time of discouragement for me, 
And he said, you know, you, when you're in a time of healing, you got to practice the ministry of showing up. And this is where you take a step of faith towards healing when you've been wounded, where you realize that all God asks of you in that moment is to show up and begin to let Him do the rest. You don't have to do anything else. Sometimes you just have to show up and invite God to do what He does. And when you faced a wolf or a wolf-like situation for right or for wrong, it's what happened from your end of the equation, one of the most courageous faith-building and healing things we can do is simply to show up. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It takes courage to show up sometimes. Amen? Whether that be to church, whether that be in a conversation, where you courageously show up and you let Jesus do what only Jesus can do. And for some of you today, coming to church was an act of courage. And may you sense God smiling over your life today because you showed up. And you're inviting him to do what only he can do. You know, sometimes when we go through a series of events that feel wolf-like to us, where there are these wounds that happened and however they happen, it's almost like you're in a boat. And you find yourself in a river and you're going down the rapids and there's all kinds of confusion, there are all kinds of dynamics going on. And sometimes all God is asking us to do is to stay in the boat. And to know that we are going to get through the rapids and that there is calm waters ahead. But part of the ministry or the practice of showing up is just to stay in the boat and to stay in community. And not to throw Jesus or His church out because you were attacked by someone who claimed His name but was an imposter, whether they knew it or not. And that might mean showing up to a local church that God leads you to. That might mean showing up to a group of friends that speak God's life into your life. That might mean showing up to work and just working. That might mean showing up to some counseling sessions. The ministry of showing up is the opposite of staying away from people. And showing up to church is not because it's full of perfect people, by the way. The moment you walked in, you ruined that, okay? I'm just letting you know. And when you invited me to be your lead pastor, you ruined it even more, you know? But we are a broken people, saved by grace, who are called to live in the beauty of God's church and to find His bride beautiful in thick and thin to look around at people and know that you are the beauty of His bride and to value one another in the same way. The most courageous step of healing sometimes is to show up and let God do the rest. Also, pursue forgiveness as part of the process of healing. This is forgiving the person or the people that hurt us, uh, regardless of their acknowledgement of their wrong, although that is the hope that you will experience, regardless of even them understanding what they have done, although, again, that is the hope 
But this is giving people who have wounded us over to God and giving the right to punish them over to God as well. And it's a spiritual process. Colossians 3.12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one of us has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Uh, Lewis Smedes is a Christian author and counselor, and he's, he's done some amazing work on understanding forgiveness and finding healing through forgiveness in Christ. And he says that something very interesting about forgiveness. And by the way, forgiveness is a spiritual process. Like God empowers us to do it. The more we are touched by His forgiveness and our walk with Him, the more we embrace that, the more we experience that, the more we are able to forgive others who don't deserve our forgiveness, just like we experience God's. But it's something the Spirit empowers. We don't, we don't do it on our own strength. But one of the things that Lewis Smedes says, it's so insightful, I've never forgotten it the first time I read it, is he says, we generally forgive people more than we forgive institutions. We, we, we forgive people generally the more than institutions. And, and what he's speaking to is it's, it's so easy to get lost in this endless cycle of unforgiveness for this big entity out there and never really land the results of the woundedness that's happened in a situation where maybe you're really angry at that company, this big company, but really it was a person or a group of people who, who hurt you that you need to forgive. Or, or, or maybe, you know, in the, side, in the side of church hurt that some of us have experienced, it's, you know, you're, you're just hurt by the church, this, this huge thing out there, when, when really it's a person or a group of people that, that God is calling you to forgive. Generally speaking, we forgive people more than, than institutions, and it's an important part of the process of healing. And so, healing involves simple devotion to Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. And it involves the practice of the ministry of showing up and just letting God do what God does. Sometimes the only thing you can do is just show up, and that's okay. That is so okay. And it also involves forgiving some people while you're engaging in community together in Christ. And finally, and most importantly, lean into God's perseverance with us and for us. Uh, the book of Hebrews points us into the right direction on this one, because in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, we're given all these people who lived by faith, and they centered their lives on the righteousness of God, who stuck with them in thick and thin. And as a result, they were able to persevere in their faith. This is where we begin to see that we don't heal because we have all this stamina, because we're able to gut it out, and we just have to, you know, gut it out, and we have to be all strong. No, that, that's actually not why we heal, but we heal because of God's righteousness, the fact that He sticks with us. He is faithful, and it's His faithfulness that allows us to persevere. Eugene Peterson, in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, he has a, a great chapter on perseverance, highly recommend it. It's like a commentary on the Psalms of Ascents, all the Psalms that were read as people would walk into Jerusalem on the great holy days. But in his book, he's referring to Hebrews chapter 11 and this great list of 
faith, of men and women of faith and perseverance, and he says this about them. He says, none of them lived without sin. They all made their share of mistakes and engaged in episodes of disobedience and rebellion. But God stuck with them so consistently and surely that they learned how to stick with God. And what Eugene Peterson is reminding us is that we have a Savior who sticks with us and makes it possible for us to persevere. Psalm 129 in the message paraphrase, which is written by Eugene Peterson, says this, they've kicked me out, kicked me around ever since I was young. This is how Israel tells us. They've kicked me around ever since I was young, which is how a lot of young people feel today. But they never could keep me down. Their plowman plowed long furrows up and down my back, but God wouldn't put up with it. He sticks with us. Then God ripped the harness off the evil plowman to shreds. And Peter goes on to say, uh, Peterson goes on to say that the best example of perseverance that we have is Jesus Christ. Going all the way back to the beginning of his ministry, where he was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness, and then the not to forget moment, going all the way to the conclusion in that, that day in Gethsemane where he faced trial and temptation, leading to the cross where basically his body became a torture chamber. But even there on the cross, you see the fruit of Christ. You see this incomprehensible kindness where Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. And then you see this incomprehensible peace where he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then comes the resurrection where he conquers sin and death. And then he invites us into life with him through faith and repentance. And then comes the birth of the New Testament church, a people saved by grace, made beautiful through Jesus Christ, who are called to live on mission together. And the secret to perseverance in times of healing is not gutting it out, but growing in our understanding of God's faithfulness to us, that God sticks to us through thick and thin. It's actually what that word righteousness, the righteousness of God, we sang about it today. It's what that word means. It's more about relational promise than it is just about right living. That God is faithful with His grace, with His love, with His presence, with His goodness, with His holiness. He is faithful, which is why the Good Shepherd can call us back. And it's why the Good Shepherd can call us back into community as the people of God, as the living expressions of the New Testament church. As we worship and grow and serve. And so, I don't know the woundedness that you have today. I know we all have them. Return to the simplicity of devotion to Jesus. You cannot go wrong. And practice the ministry of showing up. God's telling you to show up, show up. He will do the rest. And pursue forgiveness as part of the process of healing. 
and lean into God's perseverance. I told you the story earlier of our friend, Linda. She's a person of courage. Her life today shines with a love for Jesus Christ. She shines with this passion to be a tangible expression of the gospel in the community in which she lives. And she does it all the time in powerful ways. And she shines with a love for the bride of Jesus Christ, His church. And she has learned how to take her thorns and give them over to the glory of God and experience healing on a continual basis as she does that in her life. You know, for some of you today, it, it probably took great courage to show up for one reason or another. There may be someone listening online and someone just said, hey, you've you got to listen to this message and you've listened. And I pray that the Lord has shown up for you and you'll follow Him however He's leading you and you'll be blessed and that you'll be able to share that blessing with someone else. Let's pray. Father God, I've, I've felt like this all day and it's one of those moments where I wish I could sing because I know you're singing over your people today and you're singing good songs and your presence is here and your faithfulness is over us, Lord. And Lord, together we lift up our wounds to you and we just invite you to speak and give us the courage to follow, Lord. If it's simply to renew our love for you, Lord, and our walk with you, if it's just to say, I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep showing up, Lord. It's all I can do right now. I barely take another step, but I'm going to show up. And I invite you to show up for me. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. That allows us to walk into your presence and all of our brokenness and be with you, the good shepherd. And thank you for persevering with us, Lord, even when we feel like we can't. Thank you for being faithful. And would you wash that faithfulness over your church today? Oh, encounter. <laughs> I hear the faithfulness of God today. He has his church. He has always had his church. And he has his future ahead. For all of us, Lord, thank you. And thank you for so many more <laughs> who you're going to reach. And thank you that we get to be your bride along the way. We love you, dear Lord. <laughs>